Good morning. Good morning. I was listening to the announcements and I was was having this little moment, this little epiphany moment, realizing I think we're becoming a one-dimensional church. Tacos, pie, chili. (laughs) What are we trying to live up to? Like some Southern Baptist, uh, you know, mandate of you have to have so many cook-offs and potlucks a month or you lose your status or something like that. So, um, but we love food. Amen. Uh, we love God more, the provider of food. That's why we say grace before every meal. There's a random fact for you. Um, but that's what we're here for this morning. Amen. To, to worship the Lord. Um, in fact, you saying a few things I want to test you on a little bit later. I actually wrote one of them down. There's a test at the end. Oh no. There's a test at church? Eh, kind of. We'll see. Hey, um, very excited to be here today. Uh, without qualifying this, I had an experience this week where I was reminded what home is, the concept of home, and uh, I'm home here. This is home in, in certain ways. I think you get that. Uh, and it's great to be in the house of the Lord, right? That's one of the things you just sang. Uh, or the home is home, being at home with God. And uh, I was thinking this week, that's kind of what we work on each week. When we study his word, when we go to small groups, the different things that we do, how we serve, interact with others. We're trying to get to that place where we're at home with God in all the things we do. Um, we're going to talk about that this morning, uh, which is probably why I was thinking about this week, right? Those two go together. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. All right, Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for uh, the things that are coming up and the things we've done in the past. Pray, Lord, we would be re- reminded of how do we connect with you, get in line with you on your path following um, what is said in the Old Testament, your precepts. Pray you'd show us new ways to draw near to you, that you might draw near to us. Claim that promise from the New Testament. Be with our time this morning, Lord, and be with uh, your word as we present it in a way, hopefully, Lord, that helps us understand it. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our series in Romans. We're chapter 12, and um, we're going to make crazy progress today. We're going to do a whole two verses. So, uh, and, and even worse than that, it's going to get weird because we, we ha- we're only going to have two verses today, but we're going to have four fill-ins. Like how do you, I mean, that's the highest ratio of fill-ins to verses we've ever had in the history of the church. So I, I keep trying to find new ways to do firsts. Right. So, um, but as I was looking at uh, Romans chapter twelve and some of the concepts, there's so much that's foundational in this these first two verses, and it's and it's in response um, to what we've we've seen in the first eleven chapters, and it, it just felt like, you know, we we got to dissect this and pull some stuff out of it to really understand what's going on. Um, because Paul Paul's been making an argument that that we don't uh, 
we don't get to differentiate who has a shot at heaven. Uh, in fact, what we do get to do is claim that everyone, uh, Israel didn't lose out because they misstepped. Uh, we can still get in when we misstep. So we have a God who's interested in some, um, in many ways of drawing us back in. Uh, and that's a, that's a great deal. And I wanna, I wanna remind you the last thing we read in our study, and this isn't on the outline, it's not a, there's no overhead for this, but this is the precursor to what is about to be said. I appeal to you therefore, right? Um, if you give us the first, uh, well, all of the verses, <laughs> they fit all on one side. I appeal to you, what's that word right there? That big word? Therefore, um, we have to understand what he's referencing when he says, I appeal to you, therefore. So because of this, now I'm going to appeal to you. Well, what's the because of this? What's the this in that? And it's the last verse of chapter 11. It's verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that not that one of those like classic church verses for to him and from him and for him and all of him and by him and next to him and, you know, be glory forever, right? It feels like we should be putting that to music or we should put it on a banner and hang it somewhere. And it sounds like those, one of those great devotional concepts. Paul would never think of it that way. Paul's not looking for the next, um, I don't know, purpose statement of the church. He's making a statement that everything is God's. Everything is based in God. Everything is going to end up right in his lap, at his feet, in his hands. He is going to walk alongside every single thing. Paul is trying to, the best way he can, with multiple different phrases, cement into us the idea that God is intrinsic to all things. Intrinsic, what's that, what's that big, huge word we just used there? Um, he's within everything. To be within, I don't we call that intrinsic, okay? For those of us who, uh, well, struggled with secondary education, let's say. And no, I wasn't looking at Doug when I said that on purpose. <laughs> um, he's saying, look, if God's everything, starts with him, ends with him, the whole journey in between, then this. It's, it's like a disguised conditional phrase. If this, then that. That's what's going on. So God's everything. Therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We're, 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 um, we're presenting it to who? It's a long phrase, but if you get down to the bottom of the uh, back of the third line at the very end, we finally figure out where, where are we presenting this to? I know it's a church that you know, 99% of the time the answer is God. 
We're presenting to God. What are we presenting? It says, to present, like middle of the second line, there's a comma, and then it says, to present your bodies. Who's, who's that? That's you. You present yourself. Present yourself as a living reward? Is that what it says? I'm, I'm, I don't have my glasses on. Can somebody help me with that? A sacrifice? Wait, wait a minute. We're, we're supposed to be sacrifice involved in this? I thought I'd give over my life to Christ, and he's about grace and love and deliverance and healing. And w- 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 I thought the sacrifice was done. I thought that was over. Paul says, hold on, You're, you need to rethink this. If everybody gets in and he's in control of all things, then here's the deal. We live for him now. Notice the, what, what type of sacrifice is it? It's a living sacrifice. And you're presenting yourself as the living sacrifice. That's great news. Wait, how's that great news, Scott? Sacrifice implies loss. It, sometimes it's like somebody gets stabbed or they take your money or uh, you, you sacrifice your whole Saturday for something or you went on a mission trip for like 10 days on 22-hour flight just to get there and then come back. Uh, you know, depending on what you're sacrificing, there's cost to it. A lot of times there's death to it, right? We know that from the cross. Why is this good news? If it's a sacrifice, I already made you say it once. What kind of sacrifice is it? So you get to, we get to live. Oh, that's, there we go. There's some good news. I don't have to worry about dying per se, but now we have a, a new conundrum, a new puzzle to put together how do we sacrifice while we live how do we live in such a way that we are a sacrifice if we're not dying we've ruled that out because we're living then we got to find out what are the other ways that we do this paul says well we do it with our bodies and we do it by the mercies of god so it's going to cost you something but who's going to be on your side who's going to have your back and along with you, right? By the mercies of God, he's going to take care of you as you're going on. And then Paul uh, qualifies this. He says, here's, here's why we're doing this, right? I appeal to you. You're going to present yourselves. You're going to be a sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Hmm. See, now I'm confused because every week we do programming for the church. And I thought we did worship at the beginning. Like we're going to do three worships then we're going to do a message. We're going to close with the worship. You know, hopefully people will serve alongside doing other things in the different ministries. Maybe somebody will give some uh, tithe to, so we can keep the lights on, those kind of things. I thought worship was when we sing. And it is. But what's Paul saying here? Spiritual worship is how you live. If God is everything, then how are you living? What goes through your mind during conflict? What comes out of your mouth during discussion? When nobody's watching, what do you do with your body? 
Paul says, you know, spiritual worship is way beyond singing. It could start there. It could end there. But how many other things are involved in worship, according to Paul, apparently? Say everything or all of them. Paul says, we've got to change how we think. Right? We're going to come back to that in a, in a minute when we get to the fill-ins here, um, which we're going to get to pretty quick because we're halfway through the passage already. Right? Verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. How do you present yourself as a living sacrifice? Well, one, you need to recognize that the world's something do, doing something different. And rather than do what the world's doing, rather than just going along, well, this is what everybody else does, and this is best practices. Instead, we're going to do something different than what the world does. And what is that? That is... But be transformed, be changed. Now, I want to I want to trick you. But wait, if you're telling me you're going to trick me, then are you really tricking me? Just go with it. Okay, here we go. Are you good enough the way you are? <laughs> yes, no. No, yes. Maybe I don't know, that's too difficult of a question. Can we do something a little more parochial, right? Um, based on this verse, are you good enough the way you are? No. You know, we talked about your intrinsic value based on your identity in Christ and what happened on the cross to prove it. Are you good enough? Say yes. Okay. If we're trying to present ourselves as a living sacrifice and that's a process then we've got some steps to take still in those terms we would think of other things said in scripture like um, there's none righteous no not not even one right all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin nature. We have all these things. Um, why was sacrifice even a concept? Why do we even know what that word means? Because early on they said, look, when you make a mistake, you got to pay for it. Right? Which is apparently what our current culture is forgetting. We should be able to do whatever we want and have zero consequences. Right? Real problem. Um, I, I don't want to do politics at all ever at church, but I did see some commercials that made me cringe as to what they were leaving out and what they were projecting for their own agenda and had no idea or concept that they would sacrifice something for the other side or vice versa, right? Now, that generalized statement about politics could be applied to either party. Yes? Yes. Okay. We have to figure out how we transform in spite of what everybody around us is doing. Because left to our own devices, one of my most often quoted verses, there is a way that seems right to a man and its end leads to destruction. Or that's kind of the light way of saying it, and leads to death. Now, if that's the path we're on, let's pick a new path, right? Which is basically what Paul's saying. The world's gonna take you one way, how about you transform? How about you tweak it a little bit? How about you course correct some? And here's how you do it. By the renewal of your mind. How do you do it? 
Better self-control. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna try really. I'm gonna do really harder. No, he says you gotta change the way you think. And you say, uh, if you want to know somebody, take a look at their uh, checking account and their calendar, what they spend their money on, and where they spend their time. That's what you care about. Oh, well, no, I actually think this. I didn't know. If you thought it, you'd do it. You'd spend money on it. If you never spend time or money on it, doubt you think it. It's this concept of we have to figure out what is driving us. Popular phrase for this is core values. What are your core values? Or your non-negotiables. No matter what, I will never, uh, no matter what, I will always, uh, any, regardless of what happens, I'm going to be this type of person. What are those for you? As Paul says, we have to rethink. How many things do you, you think he wants us to rethink? If God is in all and from, it's all to him, from him, okay? we said everything. How many of those things does he want us to rethink in our mind? Oh? Well, gosh, Scott, it would be so much easier if we just went back to the original plan. Where he just tells us what to do, and we either do it or we don't. If we do it, well, we're in good shape. If we don't do it, well, we made a mistake, and we'll take a sacrifice up to the temple, we'll get paid off, and then we give you. Yes, what's the problem with that system? It never really changes your mind. You keep doing the same thing, and oh, I got an equation for being good with God. Praise the Lord that I figured out at some point that going to church with my parents would never be enough. Just showing up and attending, I sat in a seat, I put my quarter in the offering plate. That was the, you know, when you're five in the 70s. That's how we trained the little boy, right? Um, that, that that was never going to be enough. Those are just exercises. What, what were they thinking, my parents, in forcing me through that, right? We had to drive like 40 minutes. I got a donut out of it. Okay. God bless Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. Not for their donuts. Um, why did my parents force feed me through that process? So I'd learn a pattern of behavior that they wouldn't have to worry about? Partially. What's the greater, higher goal in that? What, what are they hoping happens to me? Why did my mom force me for a while to do daily devotions out of a canned curriculum she bought online somewhere and I had to read stuff and fill it out and turn it in and we're not even at school? Actually, I forgot about that until this moment. Why, why, what's... What she hoping is going to happen big level? There'll be a, a what of my mind? A transformation or a renewal. Like I would start thinking about things differently. Now, I'm going to suggest that it worked. Not all the time we've met. <laughs> right? I make mistakes. Um, but... We, we fundamentally have misunderstood this whole, uh, I'm, I'm obedient to God and then sometimes I'm disobedient and when I'm disobedient, I need to just repent, uh, confess my sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Great, how do we break that pattern to where you're not doing that continually? 
Well, it's in the verse, like repent, right? What's, what's, what's repent? Repent is when we, we, we say this at church and we've said it for generations where you turn, right? You're going to turn the other direction. That's great. That's a good visual. Um, let, let's do entomology. Entomology? Study of the word. That's bugs, right? What's the word? Somebody? Okay. Well, we're going to do definitions. Words and roots, right? Re, and what's the le- next part of it? Pent. What's pent? Because re is to do something again, right? I'm going to return. Well, it's I turn again. Really, we should be saying return to God if we're doing the turning thing. But they don't say return to God. They say repent. We've turned it into turn. But it really says repent. Pent sounds like what? Pentance? Well, you're having to do penance. Mm. He's very pensive. What's that? He's a thinker. Pent, rethink. When you repent, just say, oh, I was wrong. You ever had somebody say they were sorry or say they were wrong and you knew they didn't mean it? They picked the right words, but you could feel it deep in your soul. They were still poisoned with whatever, right? To truly repent is to think differently, to change definition. Yes, I did something wrong, and here's why it was wrong. Yeah, I know how I got there, but why did I get there? Understanding motivations behind it and the whole thing. Paul says, look, um, all this stuff is going back to God. How does God want you to think about what you've done? where you're going, who you're with. It's a, it's a great reminder. And um, here's, here's my other argument to prove my point is, are we on the right path here with this repent thing? Um, we want to renew what your mind, right? That's the organ we think of when we talk about decisions and thinking and logic. He says, we gotta have new definitions. We gotta think about it differently. That in order to test and you may discern what is the will of God. Do this, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You said it differently the first time. Yeah, I was trying to be honoring the tense I was in at at the moment. But what's being said here is when you start to rethink, repent, renew your mind, and start in all things, guess what? You're going to get to a place where you can test the will of God. And hidden in there, in between the testing of the will of God, it says, you may discern. Whoa. Discerning, that's a feeling, right? When you discern something? No. When we, when we think of the word discern, do we, do we attribute that to heart or mind? See, we're back at mind. We're back thinking. He says, somehow, when you enter this process, you start transforming, you start rethinking. You're going to be able to test, and you may discern. We, we never say that anymore, right? How was your day? It was very discerning. No. What'd you do today? Well, I discerned the assertion of, the, you know, I, no, I know we say no I knew you could test God's will and know it 
Whoa. Now, any thoughts on whether there, the stuff before it is a prerequisite? It's got to be a prerequisite, right? You've got to start living it. You've got to start pursuing worship. And you've got to start turning from some of the world stuff, rethinking in your mind and transforming all your definitions. And then, based on this new kind of foundation you're developing, we'll call it wet cement, you're going to get to a place where you're going to start to understand what is God's will, how to test it, which, when you're wrong, when you're right, and then watch this, and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Where's this supposed to head? Because it started with sacrifice and it scared me. Where's it ending? It's ending at good, acceptable, and perfect. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. All right, two verses. Um, let's, let's look at this because um, it's one of the most daring sermon titles of all time. Right? Discerning God's will. Right? Now, we're, we're, why, why do we get discerning God's will as our title? Because it says in there that by testing you may discern right? God's will. Apparently, Paul is uh, making the claim, not me, but our answers today are around this concept. Can how, what does it take to know what God wants? That's the number one question I get. All right? When I was in student ministry, the number one question was, how far is too far? All, right? All these teenagers and hormones are raging. And like, how far is too far? When I got into adult ministry, this became the number one question. What's God's will for my life? What's God want? from me. Why am I here? How come he this? How come he didn't that? Right? We're all asking this question. Right? On some level, this is what I know about those of you who are in this room or watching online. You're doing it. Why? You, you want to step into that. Right? How, how can I get me some more of this? Right? Do they sell it by the bottle? I'll take two. We need to understand how to get close to, to God's will. And it, it's, um, it's complicated, I think. Which, it's, it's elusive. Yeah, you can miss it. It's missable, right? Great phrase that um, Ed Noble uses that I listened to his podcast. The idea that, that God's voice, your experience with God, it's miss, you can miss it. Missable. Um, so here, here's some things. Here's what you can do in understanding God's will and knowing God's will, right? And this is great because we have confirmation this in other places like where it says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me, God speaking. You can know and understand him, apparently. Let's go with that. Great. Well, how can I do that? What can you do? Well, you can only live your spiritual worship. One of the first things we have to redefine is what, what is worship? And we need to get way beyond singing a song. We, get to, we have to get way beyond attending church. Or I watched the podcast this week. I was a good soldier. I saw the YouTube feed. I upped the count on views for my church. I am so good. Um, 
Uh, that's not the agenda. You know, um, some people treat church as, as like that's, that's the marker, the measure of how I'm doing with the Lord. When the measure becomes a standard, it, it no longer functions as a measure. Heard that on a podcast a while back. We, we've got to start thinking that attending church, uh, reading scripture, praying, singing uh, songs is just the beginning of worship. Bottom shelf, lowest hanging fruit. We find other places where it says, you know, true worship is to help the, the widow in need. Well, that's, wait, we have a ceremony for that at church? Like the widow service or something? No, no, no. That's like when you're living, you're out pursuing God, aware of God, Asking what's his agenda for today? What's his path? And, and recognize that I, worship can only be lived. Uh, for some of us, we, we like the idea that Christ died on the cross for us, solved sin, the whole thing. He's gracious and loving. And I could say, I've accepted him as my personal Savior and Lord. Raised my hand at church one time or filled out a card or I came up and prayed a, at the stage. Great, that's awesome. Yeah, I can never lose my salvation. I'm a Christian. Great. How was Tuesday? What do you mean? Well, you said you're a Christian, but how was Tuesday? I still don't understand the question, Scott. What'd you do on Tuesday that was affected by this new title that you have? How does being a Christian change your days of the week? Your phone conversations. What will you will type out and push send on what sites you'll go to, all that kind of stuff. Now, growing up, I was not a very nice kid. Well, that makes sense, Scott. You're not very nice now. Uh, very much into soccer, competition, who got the best math score on the tests, all that kind of stuff. And my soccer buddies and I, we kind of noticed sometimes that some people like to call themselves soccer players. And they'd show up with really nice cleats. And then we'd get out on the field. And what was the problem? They couldn't play. Now, I'm a soccer player. What's that mean? It means I got a uniform. It means I'm on the roster. It means I get the, the weekly email updates on our schedule. Does it mean I know the rules? Does it mean I have different sets of cleats for different uh, playing surfaces? What does it mean? How many different kinds of uniforms? I, I have a home and an away jersey. Right? When I was a kid, I thought if you were a soccer player, that means you slept in your uniform the night before because you're so excited about the next game. I know some of you in this room have done it, right? The ones that are laughing, Right? To have the right uniform and to be on the roster and to know this guy and all those things doesn't make you a soccer player. When have you played? These guys would show up and they'd have these brand new cleats that mom bought them. Maybe dad. We get out on the field and they couldn't play. 
And, and I am not, so we're not endorsing this as a church right here. Okay, what I'm about to say. But my buddies and I, we had this little phrase we'd use one once in a while. We'd be like, yeah, nice cleats. And we all knew what that meant. Hey, we got a new player on the team. He's joining the team. Oh, is he any good? Well, he's got nice cleats. We knew what that meant. You're in, in title only. You're soccer player in title only. You say it's your definition, your identity, you say your character, but really it's not. The guys want to be on the, on the team and they skip practice. What? No, I was a little twisted as a, like, as a kid. If there was anything soccer related, I was there. I was there early. I stayed late. I practiced on my own. I'd kick the ball up and down the stairs It would because stairs are a great kickback. Right? You kick it up the stairs, eventually it comes back to you. You can keep doing it. I'd play out in the yard. I, I, every chance I get. Then we get these other guys, especially as we got older, they just want to show up to the games. Like, what? No. This has to be a lifestyle if you're going to get better and do it well. You know, our relationship with the Lord needs to be the same perspective. Oh, you, you got a nice collared shirt and some decent shoes and you show up to church on Sunday and you call that being a Christian? No, it's not. Um, in fact, you're wasting time. Unless it's an attempt to, I want to be there and I want to step into this and figure out what's the living part and how do I worship beyond when I'm in this building or when I'm around Scott, right? Which I'm, I'm getting tired. You all are on your best behavior around me. Stop it, Okay. I want you to be your authentic self around me because that's how we learn how to live it. Um, beyond just, uh, I, I, I memorized the words to the song. All right, so, so uh, we have to live it because it has to be something you experience, right? Sweet, let's transition to fill in number two. Experience, experience, sacrificial presentation it said, um, present your bodies, right? So we need presentation as a living sacrifice. You need to show up in sacrificial ways. Why? Because you experience something. When you show up to help, when you show up to comfort, when you show up to work, to donate, if you show up to just sit next to them and shut up and just be a presence when they don't want anything more than that, but you're at least there. Um, I, would, I would even say this about church. There's times for some of us where you just need to show up, shut up, and, and let God kind of sink in. And you need not serve. You need not have all the words memorized. You may not need to listen to the whole of the sermon. But to come and just present yourself and say, you know what? It was, enough, it was hard enough for me to just get here to church. And I'm not talking about uh, mom whose uh, husband's on a business trip and you got four kids and, oh, it was so hard for me to just even get here this morning because I got to get the four kids ready. No, I mean when in your own emotional, mental, spiritual condition, the idea of showing up at church is a sacrifice. There's other times where it's like, bite your tongue. Why? Because you need not say anything in that moment. And if you inject right now, what's going to happen? Psst, boom. 
you know, blow something up. Instead, how do you present yourself, just like walk in and be like, all right, I have no idea how this is going to go and it's probably going to hurt a little bit and I might need to see the doctor after, I don't know. But I'm going to experience what God has for me to experience in this. Regardless of how much it costs or hurts or what I'm missing out on, some of y'all have this uh, fear of missing out, FOMO. I hate the concept. I'm going to miss out. Oh, really? Thinking that way is a sin because you are doubting the sovereignty of God that he puts you in all places at the right time. You never, ever miss out. You're like a wizard. You always show up exactly when intended for what God has designed for you to do. It's impossible for you to miss out. And so we skip certain things and miss the experience because we think, I know, don't, go, don't start to pick apart that logic, right? It's going to get crazy. But here's, here's um, what I want you to think about here. Junior high dance, right? What's the analogy everybody uses about junior high dances, right? If we were doing junior high dance right now, you two would have to go sit over there. A few of you guys, you're going to have to come sit over here. What's the analogy? The boys on one side of the room, the girls on another side of the room, and, and almost never the two shall meet. Everybody's panicked about, you know, how do we dance, who do we dance, I don't, where do I put my hands? I don't, we're not talking about Doug's junior high. Um, here, here's a different analogy I want to use for junior high dance. How many people, first junior high dance, absolutely panicked about just showing up? I have no idea how this is going to go. I know it's going to hurt. What do I wear? I can't handle it, right? Just the idea of showing up is a sacrifice to try and experience something that I've never experienced. And I, the mystery the potential for how many different ways it could go poorly. And you can think that way if you want. Or you can be like, sweet, first junior high dance. Let's go see what this is going to be. What are you wearing? I don't know. Clothes. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to show up. That was me. I had a buddy. He was petrified at junior high dance. Not the whole... Guys on one side, girls on the other. He's like, just even going, I'm not going. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't want to ask somebody to dance. What if they ask me to dance? The whole thing. His mom comes to me. Hey, can you invite, tell him he'll, you'll go to the dance with him. I was like, I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> no, no, just tell him that he should go and you'll go, you guys could go together. And I, I want to, he needs to go have that experience. I was like, well, sure, yeah, hey, we're going to the dance. Okay. That was it. Went to the dance, had a great time. Mm -hmm. Not really. Ah. Right? Awkward, don't know the dance moves, the whole thing. It went kind of poorly. And yet, we had a good time. Did we have an experience? Yeah, absolutely. But we had an experience that deeply required 
is mercy, <laughs> right? We want to experience the sacrificial presentation within his mercy. Because when you try stuff, that's going to hurt a little bit, and you have to show up and, and, and like, all right, let's see how this goes. You're going to need his mercy, right? That's why I love the phrase in the first verse, by the mercies of God. What, why is that in there? Because that was just like a filler phrase. In fact, we read through it, and none of you paid attention to it. Now I'm coming back to say, wait, absolutely Paul put that there on purpose. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I'm going to present myself to God. And who knows what's going to happen, what that experience is going to be like. I mean, sometimes he teaches me things the hard way. What do you need in all that? What do you need in everything according to God? You need God alongside you. You need God explaining what you're trying to rethink. You need God course correcting you when you're testing so you can discern his will. Because some of the things you test, are they gonna, is it gonna work out? No. Yeah, it should have been a resounding, really loud, like second service kind of note, you know what I mean? Um, but we, we, we almost gotta look at our relationship with, with the Lord as um, soccer players who actually play and junior hires who actually show up. You know, it's, and then say, God, like, fix it all, make it all work, clean it up, right? Third, uh, transform. You can transform, right? We're, 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 um, we're setting up each of these phrases with the two-word intro. You can only live out spiritual worship. Um, you can experience spiritual presentation within his mercy, right? And this last one, you can transform. Well, I know God wants this for me and he said these things and da, 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 but my past, my thinking, my experience, my family, uh, wah. You can, you can change. No, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Really? I mean, you kind of can. I mean, take any psychology course, right? You withhold food from the dog and he'll change his behavior, right? In this analogy, are you the one that withholds the food or are you the dog? Yeah, I just called you all dogs. Is God gonna transform you eventually? Does he need to do that by withholding food or punishment or different experiences? Because instead of stepping into some experiences where he could challenge you, enlighten you, give you um, epiphanies and new relationships and all that kind of stuff. Uh, instead, he's got to drag you through it. He will. He has. He's really good at it. You can transform. We could change that to you will transform. How easy will the process be? Right? You can transform. So one love that it's implied that not only is it intended but it's possible it's commanded but watch this here's the problem and you will be opposed transform and put up your shields 
put up your hands because the roundhouses are coming. They're going to try to jab you and the whole thing. They're coming after you. Why? Who cares? They're different. Our culture has never thought like we do, except for when we were back like them. And God says, mm, no more. We're going to think about certain things in a certain way. What is life? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is perfect? What is acceptable? What's dangerous, sinful, detrimental? And people are going to come, um, they're going to vote you off the island. They're going to come after you and the whole thing. And um, praise be to God. Because that will be your living sacrifice. Oh, this is where the pain comes in, Scott? Yeah. But understand this. It's what Paul calls elsewhere light and momentary affliction when you're opposed. You're going to get opposed in your own house. Try that one. You're going to get opposed at work in all your relationships. Here's, here's, um, here's a tough one, though. You know the worst opposition you're gonna, you can get? What is it? No, self is good. Self is one of the greatest. Um, second place, right? And self has never been able to win the championship against the number one opposer. It's God. We're at church. We asked a question. I can't believe only one of you figured it out. The number one opposition you can get is God. Now, if you're off the wrong way, will he oppose you? If you're going the right direction, but just a little bit off, just, I'm going the right direction, but my thinking is twisted. I'm doing the right thing, but I've yet to repent in my mind, right? Could God oppose you in your proper direction? Ooh. But in order for you to test and know the perfect, good, and acceptable will of God, he's trying to help you. What if you started enjoying opposition? This is the way it's supposed to be. I'm fighting against a total conformity kind of cultural setting and I, I think I just I need to expect that it's going to be bumps and potholes and difficulties and opposition and people are going to say bad things and post bad things and uh, yeah sounds about right and then see what God does that with that right Jesus get opposition did he get opposition from God the Father that's heresy, Scott. Don't get all crazy. Right? Hey, God, if we could let this cup pass for me, can we do this another way? What did God say to Jesus right before the cross? He said, nope, this is how we're doing it. Whoa. We have a great example in Christ of someone who only could live out his spiritual worship who experienced sacrificial presentation 
by God's mercy and absolutely transformed everything. It is one of the greatest reasons where we love the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. Because what he did, he did as a man, in, tempted in every way, just like us, and yet without sin. It's possible. But you will be opposed. Uh, lastly, lastly is this. Um, know the will of God. You can know the will of God. Apparently, it's said multiple places in Scripture. It's repeated here. By testing, you may discern will of God. How great is that? Most people are worried that they're missing it. And all people could know it. There's a disconnect there. There's irony there. Why are you so worried about it? Just keep testing it. Well, how do I test? Pray about it. He opens the door. Step through the door. Well, it was, there was a door that was open. I'm pretty sure he didn't open that one because when I stepped in, it wasn't good or perfect or acceptable. Well, what'd you just learn? It wasn't him. It was the wrong door. And you found not good, not acceptable, and imperfect. Can you discern that when you see it? When you see bad or evil or wrong, right? How about we just jump in, present ourselves to the testing thing? Well, I know it's going to be scary because um, people are going to think that we people of faith have gotten into the scientific method. Hypothesis, test it, see if you can disprove, right? And all that stuff you were supposed to learn. Right? I know, you need to go back to your introductory to physical science class. What if we started testing the will of God in everything? How should I do this? We, we get to a place where it becomes natural and you're transformed. And now you're functioning from a different foundation with a different set of ideas. You're going to get to where you are actually experiencing what you already sang. Give it to him, Jimmy. What was that thing we said? What's that one slide from that last song that we... Um... Did you sing that? Yes? Yeah, you sang that, did you? It looks like you sang it twice. Did we repeat that slide more than once? You sang this a bunch of times. I want to know your heart. Okay, great, great sentiment. How, how do you do it? You start thinking differently. You start testing some of the things. You present yourself in ways that would honor God. You look for what's good and perfect and acceptable and say, let me step into this. Let me support this. Let me promote it. Let me try it myself. Let me see if anyone else is doing it. Um, for some of you, this starts by you praying more or praying for the first time. You see, there's, there's, there are people that attend church who've never prayed on their own. <laughs> what, what are we waiting for? Just show up at the dance. Who cares if you know the moves? Pray however you need to. Start with a word. Here's one, thanks. You can start your prayer with thanks. Or, hey, 
Hey is a great way to start. Hey, God, I don't know how to do this, but I need to start talking to you. Good talk, amen, we're done. <laughs> Get started. Read the Bible other than when I read it to you. Do worship songs other than when the band leads them for you. Uh, maybe take one of the songs you heard on Sunday and download it and listen to the car when you're driving around on your way to that meeting that you know you're going to misbehave in and see if you can't test a little transforming of your mind before you get to that meeting. I know people in the church who listen to our, our worship type songs in their car when they drive around. Why not? Serve somewhere. Oh, is this where you're going to do a commercial for the church and the different ministries? No. No, if you're bad at serving, go practice outside of the church with someone else. Okay? When you get good at serving, then you can come back. We'll put you on a committee. <laughs> right? This, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Um, this is a great place for you to practice. Find something to do and help or whatever. I just had this thought. Maybe you're not ready for any of this because you're hurting so bad. If, if that's you and this is like next step and I'm, I'm stuck, where come see me. If this is too much and you're, you need healing, you need help, come see us. There, I don't know, I just said a, we'll call it a leading to say that. But if you're any kind of healthy, no excuses, get started on this, right? Start testing it, doing it, ask people, well, uh, others who are doing it, and, and start to figure out the, the mind and the heart of God. Let's have things start working. Amen? All right, let's bring the worship team back up. Let's pray. Uh, and then, Lord, I just ask that you would uh, help us to understand two verses and one of the great questions on our planet of how do we know your will. And I, I pray, Lord, that each of us will find ways to test into it, present ourselves in ways where we start to experience it. Give us people we can ask questions of things we can reference maybe songs that you stick in our head verses we memorize whatever it is give us places to serve and help us to have in all things your presence by your mercies Lord by the mercies of God Father may your mercies fall on us may your mercies fall on us if, if you're one of those people and, and you're hurt and you're, you need some healing you need help maybe you say this have mercy on me Lord have mercy on me
Father, thank you for what we, need, we get to experience in you because of your son. We pray this in his name, Jesus. Amen. be praying for uh, Brent and I over the next few days, okay? And next Sunday, Gino Cunningham. He's going to come, uh, one of our original pastors here at the church. He started a church out in the Central Valley and uh, is leading that. He's going to come and share with us next Sunday. So it'll be awesome to see Gino and, and hear from the Lord from him. Uh, may you discern his will. Amen. Go with him. <laughs>